please be seated in God's house. And you can be taking your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8 is where we will be headed to. I want to welcome you to New Covenant Community Church. I want to welcome you to a new year. Here we be in the year 2022 as we turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 8. I'm very much looking forward to preach to you today, and I'm going to be preaching to you a message from God's Word, and I'm going to be encouraging, hopefully encouraging, um, challenging you with God's Word, and at the conclusion of today, I'm going to give a different kind of invitation, uh, perhaps a type of invitation that you've never experienced before. It'll be the first time I've experienced something like it. And I'm going to be beckoning us to go forth and to share the true gospel according to scripture uh, with those around us in a very clear, very practical way. And I'm looking forward to that time. Uh, so we're going to be opening God's word. But before we do so, uh, I would like to take just a couple brief moments uh, to revisit our purpose statement and our core values. We're in a new year, and it's vitally important that we as the family of God stay laser-focused of what is right, what our mission is, and the things that we ought to focus on, the best things. Uh, when you come in the door of New Covenant Community Church, you'll see right in the wall in front of you a statement that says that we exist to call, we're calling every follower of Jesus to magnify His name, minister His gospel, mimic His holiness, and multiply His disciples. Now that statement, that purpose statement, is a condensed sentence that summarizes our core values. And we've preached through these a number of times. And I'd like to simply start off this new year of preaching by referencing these things. These reasons for which New Covenant Community Church exists. Uh, number one, we exist as a church to praise Jesus through worship and the Word. If New Covenant Community Church could do nothing else this year than to be able to go through this year and for our Savior to be able to see this church, to be able to see His body, His bride, the church of New Covenant Community Church, if He could see a group of people that love Him and that love His Word and seek to obey His Word to praise Him through worship and the Word, we would do well in the year ahead. Uh, secondly, New Covenant Community Church, we exist to proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. Uh, we are not, as a church, a social club. Now, we have excellent socialization among ourselves. We enjoy good fellowship, perhaps a closer fellowship than could be found anywhere in the world. And we certainly enjoy socializing with one another, but that is not the predominant purpose for which we are a church. Uh, dear friend, we are the bride of Christ. We are the church. We are the vehicle through which Jesus is intended for the message of what he's done to permeate throughout the rest of the world. That's the intention of the church. We exist to proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. If you're still with me, say amen. Thirdly, we exist to practice holiness through New Testament orders and ordinances. 
I'm very much looking forward to the times of prayer that we have scheduled that you'll see in your bulletin for the first three months of the new year. Times that we have scheduled as a church body to come together and to pray. We'll intend to take communion at each one of those gatherings. And I'm looking forward to being a different kind of people. Uh, it would be well for us to look more like the church and less like the world in the year ahead. Uh, it is not a goal for New Covenant Community Church to become relevant or trendy or popular in the eyes of the world. That's not our goal, nor is it our vision. We are called to be a peculiar, called out people, a holy people. Jesus says, be holy for I am holy or as I am holy. And we ought to be a holy people practicing it through these New Testament orders and ordinances. A fourth and last of these core values. We exist to produce disciples marked by love and loyalty. I hope you have your sights set on making some disciples this year. I hope you're ready to step up to the plate. I hope you're positioning your faith such that you look different at the end of this year that we're in, that you look less like yourself as much as we love you. We like the Jesus in you much more than you. And so I hope that you are making plans to grow in your faith this year and to produce disciples marked by love and loyalty. Uh, and I'll just say, uh, along with a reference of all those things, uh, please pray for me uh, and the leadership of this church. As the church has grown, we know that the, uh, the very high attendance days of Christmas and Easter and even a typical Sunday, some particular Sundays, we're pushing up against the limit of what this building is able to do for us. Uh, for it being a, a, a thing that we use for the glory of God. And, and I know that there are some people in the room that just absolutely hate the idea of a new building. And, uh, and I think I understand your heart in that. I don't think it's because you hate the community and don't want anyone else here. I think it's because you've probably experienced some building projects in which they become the golden calf of a church. And certainly, that is not anything that we want here. And uh, so please pray for wisdom by God to be given to us, to myself, and the leadership of this church is what I would definitely ask of you. So, with that all being said, if you would join me in prayer, and then we'll open up the Word of God, and we will see that we are fed from it. Let's pray together. Uh, God, here we are, at the beginning of a new year. Uh, Father, remind us that not just with the start of a new year, but that with the start of every day, uh, that your mercies are new. Uh, Father, thank you for bringing us to the place that you have. Father, make us well-equipped in your word that we might be fed from it so that we know how we, ought, how we might traverse the year ahead, how we ought to traverse the year ahead with a perfect peace, a perfect security in who you are, and trusting you each and every step of the way. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all the church says gladly, Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, where we read and it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, 
entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. If you believe that this is the word of God, say amen. Uh, we began a journey last year around the time of June, and we began this journey of going through the book of Acts in its entirety. Uh, we began it with a sermon series titled Roots. And if you'll remember from that sermon series, we wanted to understand some things about who we are as a church, how the church got started. We learned about Jesus after his resurrection for that 40-day period as he opened up the scriptures and made some things plain to his followers. We saw how he was instructing them to go back to Jerusalem, wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. We saw how the church started through that Pentecost experience. We learned about our roots as why we're here and our background and some of those things. We then had a sermon series titled The Recipe for Fruitful Evangelism. And we found in the Word of God that the way in which the apostles ministered, the way in which they preached, is much different than perhaps you and I have done. Uh, it was not in the common way that is common in America today of simply going about and telling, the pe telling people that God loves them, which indeed He does, but that's not the gospel. They preach the entire gospel that people are broken, sinful beings before God, and that the good news is that Jesus came to be that Redeemer, and that He stands ready to freely forgive for who, whoever will repent, whoever will come, let Him come freely and drink freely from the waters of life, is what Christ said, and those were the messages that they were relaying to the hearers, to the people, the crowd that God drew unto Himself this recipe for evangelism. We then had a sermon titled Understanding Persecution. And we understood the story. We, we studied from the Word of God that first encounter when God used John and Peter through which he would heal this lame man outside of the temple. And as you might imagine, this lame man being healed gathered a huge crowd, gave Peter a platform from which to preach, and they were persecuted for it. Peter and John were the first ones to experience Christian persecution in this kind of way from the start of the church. Uh, we then had a sermon titled, The Unstoppable Bride, and we saw how the church cannot be stopped by persecution, how it in fact would make it grow, made the word spread in that kind of way. Uh, and we even despite this persecution, we saw how things were going wonderfully for the church. The Lord was adding the number daily unto himself. People were coming to know Christ. Their, their eternal home was going from hell to heaven. It was an awesome thing that was happening, an awesome phase of church life as the church and the early church was growing. And then we had a sermon titled, How God Deals with Hypocrisy. Uh, things were going wonderfully for the church, and then you had these two characters, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, who were hypocrites. If you remember the story well, they were flexing, would be the today's term for it, of their goodness and their generosity. And God repaid them for their hypocrisy by killing them. We chuckle and laugh with nervous laughter, but that actually happened. He killed them for it. If you don't believe me, read your Bibles. Uh, we then had a sermon titled, How the Church Prevails. 
uh, despite the persecution, but despite even God dealing with his church in this way, highlighting how holy he intends for the church to be. We then see that the religious leaders of the day imprisoned the apostles and that an angel of the Lord opened the gate, opened the prison door. We understood that the church prevails not necessarily by a working of man. If the church is going to, be, going to prevail, it's going to happen by the mighty, victorious, righteous hand of God himself. The church will indeed prevail. Then we had a sermon series titled God's Effective Servant where we looked at the life of Stephen. If you remember Stephen, he was a Greek-speaking man, one of seven men that were gathered together who were given the task of ensuring that the Greek-speaking widows inside the church were taken care of. Stephen was a waiter of a table. He was a servant of these widows, of these Greek-speaking widows. And yet he was a man full of the Holy Spirit, and he knew the Word of God. And as a result, he was such an effective preacher. He so knew how to apply the word of God that the religious leaders of the day, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief guard of the temple, uh, they killed him for this preaching. And we know that Stephen was the very first Christian martyr. In today's sermon, titled Hard Pressed and Still Preaching, we're going to see what happened next for the early church. Uh, and to see what it means for us today. What happened after the, the stoning, the killing of Stephen? What happened in the early church and what does that mean for us today? Look back, if you would, to verse 1 of Acts chapter 8. It says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. We know that this his is referencing Stephen. Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc for the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So let's break this down piece by piece and understand what was happening for the church at this time. Uh, we know that the death of Stephen, referenced there in verse 1, it brought about a great persecution. We had seen smaller waves of it before with Peter and John. We had seen smaller waves of it, of it before when the apostles were in prison and the angel let them out. We had seen smaller waves, but this stoning of Stephen launched a great persecution against the church. Secondly, we see from verse 2 that devout men were carrying the body of Stephen to his burial. Uh, who are these devout men? This word devout that is used here, most Bible scholars understand it to mean that these would have been Jewish priests. These would have been priests in the temple that formerly were teaching the Mosaic law that came to knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They turned from their sin, trusted in the Savior, and that these devout men, these Jewish formerly Old Testament priests that are now believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are lamenting for Stephen and his death and they're carrying him to his burial. That has been the understanding of who these devout men were based on that word devout being used. And there is a clear understanding that this very likely was the case that it was these Jewish priests that were carrying Stephen, lamenting over his death. Uh, we know in Acts 7, Acts 6 verse 7, as a result of the ministry which Stephen was a part of, it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many priests 
were obedient to the faith. Uh, we don't know for certain, but it has been understood that very likely perhaps these men that are lamenting over the death of Stephen were the very men who came to know Jesus under Stephen's ministry. They were burying the one who had discipled them. They were taking to the burial the one who had preached Christ to them through which they heard the good news of the gospel and turned from their sin and gained eternal life. That is perhaps what took place there. And in verse 3, we have this understanding that there was this great persecution against the church and that Saul was entering every house, dragging off men and women and throwing them into prison. Now, it says something significant to us when it says that it includes women. Usually, it will just include men. You think of the area in which this was and the time frame in which it was, and it's the, the idea of women and the treatment of them was very similar to the way it is in many Middle Eastern countries as it is now. They're not regarded as much. They have to walk behind the man. They can't go through a doorway the same time as another man. They're, they're not reverenced. They're not respected in the kind of way that they are in our culture. And it says something very significant when it says that the women were being drug off to prison because usually in those those days, simply based on the fact that women weren't regarded as much, even if there was a crime committed by a husband and wife, usually it was just the husband that went to jail. It wasn't even worth crediting the woman as needing to go to jail, but Saul, in this intense wave of persecution that came against the church as the result of Stephen being stoned, the first Christian martyr, Saul's going in and dragging men and women, and he's throwing them in jail. Now, imagine for just a moment that you are in the early church. Think about the things that they would have been thinking about. They knew that this great wave of persecution had come upon the church. They could hear, you would hear the sound of the men who were bearing Stephen that were weeping and crying over this wonderful man of God that was full of the Holy Spirit whom they loved that they were going to go bury and and men and women everywhere, even in individual homes, Saul's going in and, and, and people are being drugged off to prison. Now you would think the logical mind, the human way in which we would think about this is to think that the church would cower back in fear. You would think that the church would just be done, that they would fold up. You would think that it would just stifle it, that it would stop growing, that things would stop happening. But look to verse 4 and we see the result of all of even despite all of this being hard pressed we see the result in verse 4 look at it therefore those who were scattered somebody say scattered those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word now this word scattered means something to us because in the greek it has two understandings uh, and we have words like this in the english language you think of the word engaged in the English language. Uh, the word engaged means that you can be engaged to someone making plans to marry them. Or it can mean that you're engaged with another country in battle. The same word, two completely different meanings. The word scattered in the Greek understanding also had two different understandings. The first understanding, one of the understandings of scattered in the Greek is much like you might think of the scattering that happens when you walk in the old tool shed where the bird seed is and you flip on the light and the mice scatter, okay? Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. That's, that's one way in which scattered was understood, but there was another understanding of the word scattered. In the same way that a farmer would reach his hand into a bag of seed and cast it upon well-prepared soil, that also is scattering. Something that grows, something that produces a crop, 
Something that grows bigger than these small seeds that are being scattered abroad. This is the understanding of the scattering that happened when the church was pressed, they were scattered, and they were preaching the word everywhere they went. So you have these things that happened in the church. Stephen is dead. The persecution is rising. Men and women are being drug off to jail. And they were scattered preaching the word. Now, we live in central Ohio, and we've had a whole bunch of rain lately. And how many of you have a driveway, perhaps, with a pothole in it? Or re- raise your hand if you've ever driven through a pothole before. All of it, we got some guys here that work on that kind of stuff. Their life is about fixing potholes, and that's awesome. Because they can mess up the alignment of your car. And if you've ever driven through a pothole, or if you've ever thought about a pothole, this is the kind of thing I think about. Bear with me here. When you drive into a pothole and you drive across it, the sediment and the small stones in the bottom of it splash outside of it. And every time a car rolls their tires across the pothole, the pothole becomes larger. The faster that this pothole is assaulted by the tire of the car, the further these little pieces of sediment and stone get cast aside, the further they go. And each time, the larger the pothole becomes. Now... We usually think of potholes as a negative kind of way. But the same element, not in a negative way, in a very positive way, the same thing is true for the church. When you hit it, it spreads. The harder you hit it, the further it spreads. The more you hit it, the larger it gets. Somebody say amen if you understand what I'm talking about here. And this is not just true in Scripture. We have seen this throughout the course of the absolute ages. And it's still true today. You hit the church you abuse the church, <clears throat> you abuse the church, you persecute the church, it goes, it spreads, it's scattered, it gets larger. So what's the understanding here? Uh, our first one and only point today is simply this statement, is that devoted followers of Christ will proclaim him regardless of the certain cost. Devoted followers of Christ will proclaim him regardless of the certain cost. The early church was beginning to understand the very likely cost that for them to preach Christ was for them to expose themselves to an almost certain cost, to an absolutely certain cost that was associated with preaching Christ. They were beginning to understand it, and yet they were preaching because they were devoted. You might say, well, why were they devoted? Why did they preach in that? What gave them such motivation to be scattered in this kind of way as a result of the stoning of a man that was a part of their faith fellowship, and yet they go everywhere preaching that same gospel that got Stephen killed? Why and how does that happen? Look at verse 5 as we begin to see an unfolding as perhaps as to why this took place. It says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. So we know that the whole church was scattered and it gives us explicitly the details that this Philip character went to the place of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Philip was one of the seven men that was appointed with Stephen. That group of men that was started as seven is now six men because Stephen was killed. And Philip was one of those Greek-speaking Christian men that was appointed to the task of making sure that these Greek-speaking Christian ladies were taken care of and the daily distribution of funds and food or whatever it was needed for these people. And Philip knew the things that the church would have known also, but perhaps on a more intimate level. 
Uh, he knew that the apostles were beaten. He knew that they had been imprisoned. Stephen was somebody he knew personally, and he knew that Stephen was killed for his faith. He knew that believers were being arrested. And he's going to Samaria to a place to preach Christ to them. And it's, he knows these risks. He knows these things. And he preaches Christ to them anyway. And it's worth also mentioning, as we just see the picture of what Philip is doing here, uh, Samaria was not necessarily a friendly place uh, to Jerusalem, to where Philip was coming out of. 600 years prior, Assyria had taken over that area. Many people moved into it. So there was this kind of thinking among the people of God that people out of Samaria became half-breeds. They became these half-breed sellouts. And usually, if you think that somebody is a half-breed sellout, you're not too friendly to them. So there was not this great cultural relationship between the person and place that Philip came from and the place of Samaria. And yet, Philip goes and he preaches Christ to them. Why did Philip do this? It doesn't tell us explicitly, but I think we could probably make a very educated guess this morning as to why Philip would have done this. I think, I believe, that Philip believed with all his heart what Jesus said in John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. I believe that Philip knew that the gospel that he knew, that he was holding in his hands, the thing that he had been commissioned to share with the world, I believe that he believed with all of his heart that that was the only message that could save people. And thus he goes to Samaria and he preaches it, as do the rest of the devoted believers that were scattered in this fruitful kind of way. I believe that Philip, as the other devoted believers did, they believe what Luke 13.5 says, when Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I believe that this was his motivation. Devoted followers of Christ will proclaim him regardless of the certain costs. We've used this illustration before, but it's worth mentioning again. If you are standing on the edge of a body of water and there's someone drowning inside the water and you're standing on the edge with a life preserver in your hands, in my estimation and understanding, there's only about three reasons as to why you would not cast it to them. One reason would be if you hate them. If you hate the person that's drowning, you'll be like, bye-bye, and you'll turn around and walk the other way. Hopefully that's no one here today. But if you hated the person, you would not cast it to them. Uh, if you did not have any confidence that the life preserver could help them, perhaps in your estimation you thought that this life preserver was only going to weigh them down. You would have no confidence in it to be able to throw it to them. And perhaps that would be a reason for which you would not cast it to them. Another reason that you might not cast it to them is if you thought the energy you might expend in casting it to them wouldn't be worth it. Perhaps you thought there was a chance that you could throw your shoulder out in the process of casting them the thing that could save their life. You didn't want the risk of looking strange when no one else is throwing them a life preserver. Why would you be the only one that would stand out and throw this only thing to them that could save them? Dear friend, I hope you know what I'm preaching to you today. That the reason that believers don't witness is for the exact same reasons 
that you either hate the person, you either have no confidence in the person of Christ and his ability to save them, or you're just not willing to expend the energy. You're just not willing to put yourself out there and endure the certain risk, the certain persecution of doing that kind of thing. Now, I think the, the issue is overwhelmingly one of these categories, at least in our environment. I hardly ever run into somebody that just hates another person. I don't really see that among believers much. I don't really see much among believers for true believers who know the redemption of Christ, whose sins are washed of His sacrifice and blood. You've got great confidence. If you know His ability to save you and your wretched self, you've got great confidence in Christ's ability to save anyone. Somebody say amen if you know Him. Because He's awesome. You know His forgiveness for you, that by faith through His grace He can save you. And you've got confidence in that. But the overwhelmingly large issue is that we today will not expose ourselves to the risk. We will not expose ourselves to the discomfort. And for those reasons, for that reason, we will not cast the life preserver. And can I tell you, dear friend, the world loves this kind of believer. If Philip went to Samaria and he loved the people, and Philip goes to Samaria and he's got great confidence in the ability of Christ to save these people, but he wasn't willing to endure whatever kind of hardship he might be, face as being the one stepping out to cast the life preserver. If he didn't do that, the world would have loved him for it. Uh, the absolutely true story that I'll share with you here to illustrate this. Adrian Rogers, a pastor who's been dead for a number of years at this point, but a great man of God to listen to in his teachings from the scriptures are incredible. Uh, he shared a story once from when he was in college. He was working his way through school, and he was the help to, to a master carpenter. He was, he was working this job in construction, helping this construction carpenter guy. And this guy that he worked for was a lost man, and he had gutter language. His mouth was always filled with filthy words, and, and, and he had made it plain that he was working this job, going through school, and that his plan was to preach the gospel, that God had called him to be a pastor, that God had called him to preach the Word of God. And he was always ribbing him for it. This, this person that Adrian Rogers worked for, this guy was always, always persecuting him, belittling him, making fun of him for this kind of calling. And Adrian Rogers shares the testimony that one day, this man who he's working with finally one day says, if you're going to be a preacher, be a good one. I knew a preacher once who never said anything about religion when, unless he was in the church. He was a great pastor. And dear friends, that is the world's view of a good Christian. Somebody who just shuts up and doesn't say anything about the true gospel that people must repent and come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world's version of you being a good Christian is you not confronting anything, not speaking anything of the truth. The world would have loved Philip for it, but he didn't. He exposed himself to this certain cost. The devoted follower of Christ will proclaim him regardless of the certain cost. Preacher, is the cost certain? Is there always going to be a discomfort? Is there always going to be a persecution with this kind of being a devoted follower of Christ? And the answer is unequivocally yes. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. All who desire to live godly in Christ will. Somebody say will. Will suffer 
persecution. Let's try that again so it sinks into our hearts. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, somebody say will, will suffer persecution. The greatest tragedy that I experience as a pastor beyond that of those who die without knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior and they are still dead in their sins. That's without a doubt the worst tragedy. The second worst tragedy that I see as a pastor is believers who do not desire to live godly. Desires to treat Christ like fire insurance to get their hell out of cards free card that they're treating Christ as and they don't desire to live godly in Jesus Christ. They are happy with mediocre. They're happy with not hating people. They're happy with having full confidence and assurance that Christ can save them out of their sins but they are too lazy. They're too They're too ashamed to be able to throw and stand out and be the one that may feel the awkward moment, that may suffer some persecution, that may be seen as strange for stepping out and being this devoted believer, casting the life preserver, the only thing that can save. Philip was willing to expose himself to this, and I want us to see the result of it. Because it's a joyful one, and I want you to see it. Look to verse 6. It's awesome. Look at it. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. When I think about Samaria, I think about Johnstown. Do you know that Johnstown is growing? Uh, last year, we, it went from being a village to a city. I think the threshold is like a population of 5,000, and it tipped the scales of that, and it's now officially a city now, and it's growing. And, and you know, Johnstown is, is on a trajectory, it's on a path to be like every other rural place that grows when people get sick of living in Columbus. It's on the exact same trajectory, and the trajectory that it's on is for crime to simply increase, for the people going to prison per capita increasing, for there to be this darkness that happens when an environment, when a community like this happens, that it grows, it's on that trajectory. But I just wonder, church, I just wonder if you and I could scatter from this place in the same way that the early church did. And I wonder if there could be some joy in this city. I wonder if as we progress through this next year and all the other years in the future, I wonder if we could come to this place where the rest of the world is losing its mind. But I wonder if there's some joy still in Johnstown. I wonder if you and I could be the conduits through which Christ is preached such that there is joy in this city, that people driving down the highway know that there's something different about Johnstown. And I don't care if they know my name. I don't care if they know the name of the church, but I wonder if they know that there's a gospel influenced light, that it is, a, it is an influenced by the Word of God place such that there is some joy in it. I wonder if that could happen. I believe it could. I absolutely believe that it could. Charles Spurgeon once said, in every church where there is really the power of the Spirit of God, the Lord will cause it to spread about He never means that the church should be shut up like a nut in a shell, nor like ointment enclosed in a box. The precious perfume of the gospel must be poured forth to sweeten the air. Devoted followers of Christ will proclaim Him regardless of the certain cost. They will let that 
sweetened smell of the perfume of the gospel permeate the air such that there is some joy in a city such that there would not be otherwise. So has God changed your heart today? Has he redeemed you of your sin? You've turned from sin and trusted him such that the light of Christ is shed abroad in your heart and you no longer have the hate in your heart that you used to have? That's wonderful. Do you, do you have a confidence in Christ to know that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness? Do you have a confidence and a faith in what Christ has done for you? Somebody say amen. That's awesome if you have good confidence in that. Do you have confidence enough to be a devoted follower of Christ? To go and scatter and be spread abroad in this way? To expose yourself to the very likely and even certain persecution? The very likely and even certain feeling of being really awkward? The only one willing to stand out and throw someone the life preserver? Dear friends, if I, I'm just a man just like every one of you. And I have problems just like every single one of you. And there is much in my life that Christ is shaping my life and, and removing things as I seek to put to death the deeds of the flesh. I struggle with all the same things you all struggle with. And in some ways, I'm sure there are many of you who are on the journey of sanctification, that process of looking more like Christ. Many of you are far beyond me in that. I know that. But the one thing that I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt and with full certainty is that I had a, if I had 1,000 lives to live, I'd give every single one of them to Jesus. I'd give every single one of them. Not because life is always easy, because it is the only way that someone might be saved from sin. It is the only name by which we are saved. It is the only way through which someone will not be in hell forever. That's the reason I would give every single of the thousand lives straight to Jesus. So what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with this thing that we hold? Are we just going to hold it here by ourselves? The Word of God has been convicting to me. Those first verses, those verses 1 through 8 of Acts chapter 8, they've been convicting to me this week, and I hope they have been to you also. So here's what I'm going to invite us to do. And if this makes you feel awkward, then me too, because this is the first time I've ever done something like this also. If you would simply join me in standing as we would come to the music at this time. And I'd like for us to have a, not I would like, I feel led of God's Holy Spirit, that it is high time that we scatter and if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then this probably doesn't make much sense to you. Just know that, know that you must repent. Know that Christ loves you. Know that He is sweet and tender and caring and that, that you have rebelled. Your heart, you are guilty of sin, but that He stands there ready to wash you whiter than snow. He stands there ready to take His own righteousness and to place it on you that that is then your righteous standing before God. He bought that for you in His own life's blood. If you don't know Jesus, that's what He's done for you. And He calls you to repent. To turn to the Savior so that he can save you. But I know this church. I've been here preaching over two years now. I've gotten to know some of you very closely. And I'm confident of the faith that is in this church. I know that there are some people who have walked as believers for a number of years now. And I love being the pastor of this church. I'm so thankful. But 
But when I see the church get hit with this persecution, when I see the church get hit with the martyrdom of Stephen, and I see them scatter to preach this Christ, to preach this gospel. Listen to me, church, and I hope you hear me close. Everyone joining us, I hope everyone hears this. The Americanized way of evangelism is not the gospel. It is indeed true that God loves people. And you can go to people and say, God loves you. And that is true. That is un, without a doubt that is true. But it's not the gospel. The gospel sweeter even than that. The gospel is more filled with grace even than that. The gospel is that people are sinners and they're lost. And they need the, the saving grace of Jesus to touch their life. And that people need to repent and trust the gospel, to trust the Savior. This is how Peter preached. He said, you're lost. You're the ones guilty of His blood. You're the ones guilty of rebellion against Him. But He stands ready to forgive. And that if you repent, He'll forgive you. That's the gospel. That's the apostolic version of preaching, of proclaiming this being hard-pressed, but still proclaiming. That's what we see there. And we have been duped. I have been duped into thinking that it's just enough to leave a nice tip to the waitress and say, God loves you. That won't get them saved, church. They need to know that they're lost, broken in their sin, and that they need to be made right the relationship must be made right and that won't happen by them simply hearing that God loves them. It happens by them knowing that they're a sinner. God loves them and has done everything, everything, everything necessary to save them. That is the Gospel. That is the redemption that we hold dear. And that is what the early church went about preaching. Christ. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask, and I know this is different. I have no idea what I'm doing here. Undoubtedly in a room this size, there are some of you, many of you I'm sure, who are making plans to go to lunch today. And not just a place where you order and go sit down, a place where a server comes and gives you your food. I'm wondering who from this church is willing to scatter, who's willing to say, I want to be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And you're willing to say today that when you go to lunch today, you're not just going to leave the nice tip and say God loves you, but that you're going to preach the entire gospel to them that they might come to know Christ. I'm looking for one person who's willing to do that today, to willing to say, I will preach the gospel to that person. And if you'll do that, whoever that might be, I just want you to raise your hand wherever you're at, whoever that person might be. I'm waiting for the first person, the first hand that I see. Give them a round of applause. We've got people who are going to be scattered today. And they're going to share the, go they're going to share the whole gospel. And someone might come to know this Savior. Who's willing, I wonder? Who, who has a neighbor, I wonder? who's moved in recently and you've been intending to take the plate of cookies over there like is customarily normal to do, but who's willing to have a neighbor that you're willing to be the weird neighbor who goes and tells them about Jesus, not just that God loves them, not just an invite to church, but how to have their sins washed. Who has a neighbor like that who will preach the gospel, the entire gospel to that neighbor? I'm waiting to see a hand. 
We got a gospel preacher. Somebody clap your hands and say amen because they're going to go preach the whole gospel. Who has a coworker? Who will go from new co- who will scatter from New Covenant Community Church to share the whole gospel to a coworker, whether current or past? Who will it be? A coworker. Praise God. He's going to go and he's going to share the entire gospel. Who has a family or a friend? Perhaps God has been tugging on your heart for even years of this family or friend. Who has a family or friend that you will preach the entire gospel to? They may hate you for it. You may, right here, say amen and clap your hands. She's going she's gonna to share the entire gospel with that family or friend. And, and, and make no mistake, when you desire to live godly in Christ, you will suffer persecution. They may think you're crazy for throwing the life preserver, but if they recognize, if they've been drawn by the Holy Spirit of God and they see it as a life preserver, they'll come to Him, they'll repent, and they'll take hold of eternal life, church. The Dashing Diner here in downtown Johnstown, who is willing to say that this week you will outline a day where you will pray for them before you go and then you'll go have lunch at that place. You will make it a point to go sit yourself down and eat yourself some food so that you will have an opportunity to share the whole gospel with whoever's serving you this week. Who's willing to say that they will do that? Who will go to that place, Dashing Diner, downtown Johnstown, who will do that to make it a point Say amen and clap your hands because they're going to share the entire gospel. Fiesta del Rio. I had to write it down because I didn't know how to pronounce the place. It's the one and only Mexican place. It's like the only good restaurant in all of Johnstown. Sorry if you're a business owner that has another restaurant, but that place is really good to eat. As is common among the Hispanic community, they are inundated with these Catholic influences that are not biblical. Who is willing to go to that place to make it a point this week to sit down for lunch and to share the entire gospel with whoever it is that's serving you your food at this lunch this week? Who is willing to do that this week? Say amen and clap your hands. What if one person hears it and shares it with everyone over there? Who's willing to go to Dollar General or Troyer's Farmer's Market just down the road from us? They've got like everything in the world that we buy on a regular basis. So who's willing to go in there in a time when it's appropriate, when you'd have time to look at the person who's standing across the cash register and tell them the entire gospel? Who cares what they think about you to share the entire gospel? Who's willing to do that in one of those two places? Dollar General or Troy's Farmer's Market this week. Who's willing to do it? Who's willing to be a devoted follower of Christ? I'm waiting to see a hand. Say amen. And clap your hands. greatest thing we could give this community, the greatest thing that we could give them is to be willing to place ourselves in the place of being a devoted follower of Christ where the persecution is certain. I wonder how many of us are believers today because somebody was a devoted follower of Christ and shared the gospel with you knowing that you might spit on their face for it. Thank God for devoted followers of Christ who share the entire gospel, irrespective, irrespective of what may come. We have these little cards in the back. There's nothing at all special about these. 
If you want something to be able to put your contact information on or a way to build the bridge to the church, this is not a church growth strategy. This is about there being joy in Johnstown because we've been obedient to the Word of God. We have a whole bunch of these on the table in the back. Take as many as you want, and if you don't want them, fine, then don't take them. But if you find them to be a useful tool that you can place in their hand to put your own contact info on, that you might minister to them to continue sharing the gospel with them, take as many of those as you would like. Let's pray. Jesus, when we survey your word, it shows us the way it convicts us. So, Father, help us, I pray. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, make it such that as we see your word, that we don't just write it off as something that religious fanatics did. Draw us to see it for what it truly is, your perfect, holy, inspired word that is profitable for everything that we need to correct us, to train us, to show us. And Lord, we have seen from your word today, we have heard and seen clearly that we must go, we must scatter and preach Christ, proclaim Christ. Father, forgive us, forgive me for having been a lazy person, for having not thrown the life preserver in view of what it might cost me. Give us the boldness. Give us a singular view for your glory. Make us about the business of building your kingdom and being the church that you've called us to be. Jesus, this redemption is too sweet not to. We love you. We thank you. And we pray that you would make us a vehicle that proactively, effectively, and in all ways that you've shown us in your word to preach and proclaim the greatest truth that has ever touched this earth. We pray in Jesus' name and all the church says, let's sing as we worship together.